That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. A special episode today, so we're going to get right to it. Uh, we've got the Bat Force Times from New York. And I'm Robin Cross, the one from Canada. And today we are joined by... It, it's not often that someone gets to reach the point where they are known as the guy in their field. So today's guest has worn almost every hat in comics he's he's done work as a penciler he's done work as an inker as a letterer as an editor but you know him mostly from looking at almost any piece of work by one of the most iconic artists in the industry anything you look at from jim lee was probably colored by this man Uh, so if you're looking at jim's batman stuff on hush all-Star Batman and Robin, Justice League, Superman, you name it, this guy's worked on everything there is. Today with us, the best colorist in the business, Mr. Alex Sinclair. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for the intro. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here with us, uh, giving us the time. I realize this is probably some key uh, working time for you, so we really appreciate you taking the time away. Yeah, thank you so uh, much for um, hopping on and talking to us. Uh, we've been big-time, long-time fans of your work. And uh, j- just to get started, um, how's life? How's everything going? Life is good. Life is good. Work is steady. Uh, I can never complain about being busy with work because it means I... Uh, uh, I get to color comics. Uh, not a lot of people can actually say that they can do that for a living. So uh, not a day goes by that I don't appreciate that. And I, another thing you must appreciate is that uh, California weather right now in January because it's freezing <laughs> ass over here in New York. What, what's the temperature like over there right now? Well, it's it's cold, cold here. It's 55. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's this like, is when we break out our parkas, when it gets to 55. <laughs> what is it here right now? We're, we're going down the yeah. 20 tonight over here in New York. Uh, where, where I am right now, it's uh, 28 currently. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Big Pie, close California, if it got below 32. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> so much to talk about. Could you take us through your journey in terms of you discovering art, um, breaking into the industry, and you know things of that nature, like a little origin story sure um well i i my brother is the, the person who got me into comic books uh we just happened to like stop at a 7-eleven or something on the way on a road trip and he, he pulled me into a, the story goes look at all these books these comic books are great and the first comic i bought was i think detective 400 uh and i bought it because it was the fattest book on, on the rack and instantly fell in love with with Batman and uh, and I mean I knew the character, uh, but I'd never read the comics and and so uh, I knew the character from the TV show 
and uh, just with him, my love for comics just kind of flourished. We we ended up collecting together, and and we would buy the books, read the books, and then we sit down and try and draw the books that we had just read. Uh, and we read everything. Uh, back then, comics were cheap, <laughs> you know, in the fifty cent range. So we would literally buy one of each, and 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 through that fell in love with the medium uh, and and fell in love trying to recreate the medium. Uh, and so we would draw all the time. We would draw superhero stuff. Kept reading, reading it through high school. Stopped a little bit in college. Uh, I went to to a local college. Uh, I was studying, studying studio art uh, and thinking I was just going to paint and show my stuff in galleries. And, and around that time, The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen came out and, and the medium really kind of changed. Uh, and it drew me back in and I thought, you know, maybe I can give it a go with this. And I started attending comic book conventions and very slowly changing my approach to art to make it more comic book centric and, and creating a portfolio and showing it around conventions and get critiqued by everybody. I'd show it to artists and editors and, and, and you know, my, my pencils and my inks would get critiqued and, and every critique would end with the words we really like your colors or I really like your colors or your colors are great and it took me a, a few years for it to actually sink in and realize hey wait a second it's there they the, the color is what everybody's drawn to the colors what everybody's liking maybe that's what I need to do to get into the industry uh, and shortly after Wildcats 2 came out and they had an ad in the back of the book where it was a talent search and they were asking for writers and pencils, inkers, colors. And I just decided, made a, a decision. I'm going to send only color work. I'm going to use my strength to, to get into the industry and I'll, I'll work my way into penciling or inking or whatever. And I, sure enough, I sent the stuff in and a couple weeks later, I got a call from Jim himself. The studio was small enough that he was the one making the calls and, and invited me to come in for a, a trial run, uh, did so two weeks later he asked me to stay and you know that was 25 years ago <laughs> wow I, I i just saw a video you posted uh last night where that exact thing uh, you were addressing you were giving uh, advice to aspiring uh artists to to focus on the area of their strength uh, uh would you mind summing that up for uh, for anyone listening here sure um I, I see a lot of portfolios a lot of people will will draw something, ink their own stuff, and then color their own stuff. Uh, and uh, through it, and through the years, I've realized that, uh, I've, and I've told people, if you want to be an inker, don't ink yourself. You find yourself correcting the mistakes you made at the previous stage uh, with the inking, and it takes away from your ability to just focus on the inks themselves. And so I tell people, if you're going to ink, ink someone else. If you're going to color, color someone else. That way you can focus on that one particular uh, part of the process uh, so that when people say, are these your inks? Yes. Uh, and they can see what you're doing, how you're interpreting the, the previous step. And it'll uh, allow you to really just focus on the color itself or the inks themselves. Uh, so I just keep telling people, stop inking yourself, stop coloring your own art. Because uh, I find that I do it myself when I do commissions. Uh, I always do color commissions because I know that with the color, I'm going to fix everything else that I messed up along the way. So just to touch on that, um, so it takes a, a very special person to be a colorist. So, so, so not, you know, I think few could really get it. And you mentioned that you had a, 
a studio art background in school. So I'm assuming that you probably, you know, maybe study like the old masters or paintings, Renaissance or whatever it may be. Do you feel that kind of foundation led you into understanding color theory on a higher level than maybe most people that might be breaking in this genre, this comic book industry? Probably. I think, you know, my, my focus for my art history work was in the Renaissance and in the Impressionist right. periods. And I find that I draw a lot from Impressionists, especially Van Gogh with my colors. He really experimented with, with contrasting colors and reflecting light and color. Yeah. So I find that, I, you know, whenever I'm kind of hit a wall or I'm stumped, I, I go online or pull out a, a book about Van Gogh and just kind of look through it. What was that painting when it was at uh, Billard's Hall or Pool Hall? And uh, there was so much use of green. And it was really interesting the way I think historians break it down. As if he's trying to put you in his spot as he walks in. Maybe maybe on a trip or something. But the way he's uh, processing color. You know, I, right. I, I always found that really interesting. And it wasn't until one of my uh, old mentors, she focused in on this hat he painted I think it was a blue hat on a woman, I think. And there was just so many different... Um, he used that hue or different hues in so many different ways within the same color. It was just... That, like, yeah. that's cool. Like you, drew, like, you go into him for references. Uh, that makes so much sense because I think, you know, obviously your use of color is the top standard in the, uh, the industry. I have the... Uh, I forgot what it was. Um, it's a limited run of 50 prints you did... It was a Batman jumping out of the, uh, like, the Batwing. I don't know if Finch or Fabric drew this one, but I think you did this print as a, a recolored variant in, art, like, this orange-reddish hue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have um, uh, I have 46 out of 50. I was able to get it through a, a broker, so I'm really, I got it hanging up here. I'm really proud of that one. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Cool, yeah, yeah. I think that was um, Quietly. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. All right, yeah. It was from his, his run on Batman and Robin, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the covers, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to show yeah. you an image. Cause, uh, take Hush, for example. Okay. Um, and the Satra- and then going into All-Star Batman and Rob. Like, now, uh, maybe it's just me, but obviously, you know, I-, I loved your work on Hush, but I feel like you just, it-, it-, it amplified more in Batman and Robin. In your process, because y- there's just so many different palettes to work with, do you always try to push the envelope with every new... Uh, body of work you're working on? Well, I I do change it up from series to series. Even if I'm going from a series with Jim and Scott to another series with Jim and Scott, we like to change things up so that each new series has its own feel. Right. Uh, and when, when you say hush, you immediately know exactly what I'm talking about. When I say, you know, uh, Superman Unchained, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's because that even though it's Jim Scott and Alex, it's it's a different Jim Scott and Alex. And I think that's as, as artists, we continue to grow and then try and improve or change things up so that we kind of keep that energy alive and the challenges for each other um, going. Um, for Hush, the approach was, um, it was our first big DC job together. Um, and uh, we had a lot of talks about what we we're going to do. Uh, and one of the main things that, that, that Jim and Scott brought up were that they wanted Gotham City to be a character. Right. They, they said, don't just make it a background thing. Make it part of the art. Make it 
uh, a character in the story. And I was like, all right. And um, it was the summer that Lilo and Stitch came out. And Disney went back to that traditional approach of animation where they were painting the backgrounds. And they did these gorgeous watercolor backgrounds. And all I thought was like, oh, I should do that. I need to, I should paint the background so that they have their own kind of feel. And that's what I did. I ended up, uh, I hand watercolored the backgrounds on the pages and the covers and would scan that in and then go digital with the characters and the special effects. That's amazing. I always uh, wanted to, I always wondered about that process. And it's, it's because your color temperature is important too because in the alleyways, the, the Joker, you have this dark, cold, cool color temperature. But let's just say, I think it was in the graveyard or more, of, I, think, I think it was like more reddish skies that were warmer yeah. temperatures. And I, like shifting moods with color is really important. And you did that in Hush. And I don't know if this makes any sense, because when I go to All-Star Batman and Robin, I, I feel like you delve more into, like, illumination, if that makes sense. Especially with yeah. the city, like, you're just punching out light more. And and I felt like you just took it to a whole new level with that one as well. So I was always interested about the process. Cause, uh, and, and the Lilo and Stitch thing's interesting as well, because I remember when Jim... Was it Jim Lee who watercolored the Barbara Gordon flashback in Hush? Yes. Yeah, so he he started turning those in. I was like, oh, my God. Like, Please don't do this all the time because I'm out of a job. Because <laughs> uh, they were gorgeous. I, I, I love each and every one of those. And initially I got to – he would do them just in grays, yeah. in ink. And then I would come in and, 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 and spot color stuff here and there. And then he did that. The, uh, the bad girl looking over her shoulder, he did that in full color, and I was just, like, blown away. I was like, my God. Yeah. I think he'd, he'd started watercoloring the week before. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned the, okay, you, yourself, Jim, and Scott Williams uh, on inks uh, sort of coming in together. So, obviously, the, the three of you have worked together on so many things for so long a time was there like an early point on in your time working together where, where the three of you just knew like, okay, we're going to keep working together because the three of us together, we can just smash at anything. Um, you know, it just kind of happened. I think Hush did so well and looks so we were happy with how it, it looked that when for tomorrow was next, they said, Hey, you want to do this again? I was like, heck yeah. And then it just kind of took off from there and, and, we just like working together. We have a great collaborative experience. Uh, and it's almost become, you know, I, I always, before I broke in, I, I, Jim and Scott were my favorite pencil and anchor team. Um, so it was cool to become like, you know, the, the third act in that, uh, in that show. Um, so I was very appreciative of it. As the years went on, it, I didn't notice how all of a sudden it became, it wasn't Jim and Scott anymore. It was Jim, Scott, and Alex. Uh, so that that's always kind of cool when people point it out. Because to me, they are one of the reasons I wanted to get into the industry. With Hush, was the, did you get any input from Loeb? Or was that just between uh, like Jim and Loeb when putting together Hush? Well, Jeff wrote like the perfect script for Jim. You could tell he was writing it for Jim. Uh, so the characters, the story, everything, the action, everything was very well paced and was really, really kind of spoke to Jim. Uh, 
Yeah. And so most of the conversations were with Jim and Scott. Uh, Jeff barely chimed in, but when he did, it was because he wanted a very specific uh, story point to be uh, emphasized with color or something like that. Uh, yeah. A lot of his notes were within the script themselves anyway. So uh, I, I drew from him uh, from that, from the script itself, like uh, uh, beats or uh, scene changes or specific time of day, that kind of stuff. He was dictating it within the script. Okay. Yeah, I only ask because uh, we had Tim Sale on not too long ago, and uh, we, he was describing the process, what it was like working with Jeff. Because I, uh, I think Tim was inking his own stuff at the time for uh, Long Halloween. Mm -hmm. And um, and he would say that Jeff would occasionally chime in for certain things like that as well. What's the industry standard now? Is it Photoshop or is it um, or are people moving towards like you know what's that uh, Procreate or what's what's the uh, the coloring standard now for? So I use Photoshop. I've used Photoshop ever since I started at Wildstorm 25 years ago. Um, okay. It was one of those things when I came in. When I sent samples in, it, it was it wasn't really digitally yet, so I was coding with the old the old way. Right. Wow. So when Jim called, his first question was like, "Hey, do you know what Photoshop is?" I was like, "I have no clue." <laughs> uh, I had a black and white Apple Mac, a little classic that looks like a fishbowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I said, "No, I don't know what that is." But he, then he started calling out specific tools like lasso tool and pencil tool, and I had a, a painting program within that computer that was it was black and white but it had the same tools so i was like yeah i know what that is <laughs> wow <laughs> and so he's like yeah come on in try it out um so you know that was photoshop 2.0 uh and now it's you know like 16 17 or something like that uh it's a it's named differently but photoshop is what i still use i use that uh when i'm at home it's 100 percent of the time I do use Procreate on the iPad now, so I started coloring on the iPad when I travel, uh, and I use Procreate because it's the the one program that's most relative to Photoshop. Right. Uh, but when I'm done with anything that I color on Procreate, I bring it back into Photoshop to make sure that I that the colors look good and and that the uh, uh, they're separated properly for for print. Right. Uh -huh. <sighs> Do you do you feel like the industry is going to start leaning more towards Procreate as it develops, or you think it's going to stay with Photoshop? Well, I think Adobe's realized that 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 could happen, so they're releasing an iPad version of Photoshop. Yeah, this year yeah, it's, it's supposed to be close to a full version, I think, which would be pretty interesting. You know? They're saying it's full Photoshop. Wow. I've seen videos on on how it's working, and and it looks like a full version of Photoshop. So. Uh, I'm definitely going to give it a try when it comes out, and if it's if I'm assuming it'll be more of a seamless transition from from desktop to iPad. So yeah. you know, I, I think I think Adobe realized that if they don't step into the iPad world, that they might lose a lot of uh, business. Yeah, that uh, pen or pencil? Do you, do you feel like it's as intuitive as people say it is? Yeah, yeah. I use it. Yeah. I use it. The the pencil I use right now is is much, a lot like the uh, the uh, the Wacom uh, stylus right. that I use. So uh, yeah, it, when I when I'm out on my iPad, it feels exactly like if I'm on my desktop. It's just easier to hang on to. It's insane the way it's it's gone since 
the old days, you, you know, like in the beginning with the printing and coloring process and how how limited the colors were in the old process and how, yes. you, you know, t to make skies, everything was just like a Mars black with dots of white, yep. you know, just to, to get that effect. And now the things they're doing in, in the realm of comics is just unbelievable. So what are you working on these days so far? Is it, I know you're doing, you do uh, all of Jim's variants, but what else do you have going on? So I'm still working on Harley Quinn. I'm on I'm, I'm the regular colors on the book. Um, I'm actually working on issue 58 today. Uh, from that, I'm going to jump on to Superman with uh, Bendis, Rice, and Prado. We've been on, uh, been on the book with them since the very beginning. So I'll be starting issue eight next. And then after that, I'm, I'm starting the first few pages of Superman year one. Oh, with wow. Oh, Frank, wow. Frank <laughs> Romita Jr. and Danny Mickey and... and that story and that art is just light out. M Mickey's inking that. Yeah. Wow. I don't. Wow. Mickey and uh, and Sinclair. That's that's a great combination. Yeah. That's amazing being a colorist. Um, because you you bounce you could bounce around like that and it's now my question here is that with with being a colorist, being the colorist, because there's there's a lot of pressure on writers and artists to create from the ground up and you're filling in coloring and that's an, a different kind of creative process but do you feel like it's a lot less stressful as opposed to penciling or writing in terms of creating like when you bang this out do you feel like because you you know work with all these other people you you know how it is with creating a deadlines and in the industry and whatnot do you do you feel there's a certain amount of freedom you get when just going in and just, you know, saturating the work that's put out in front of you? Well, I mean, there's also the pressure of uh, uh, colors can really screw up the art. So I got to make sure that when it gets to me and it gets done by on my end, that I'm I'm adding to to the art that's right. already come before me. So uh, it's it's still part of that collaboration where where these guys are trusting me and I got to I got to and this is how I approach it. Every page I put out has to be, you know, the as it leaves, it's like that's the best page I've ever done kind of a approach uh, because I know that the people before me worked hard to get it to me. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. just, you know, I just don't want to go like, ah, don't like the page. not going to work my heart on it. In fact, I think yeah. these that I like the least are the ones that I end up working harder on just because it, it, I want to make sure that when it leaves my table, it it's, has to become one of my favorites. That's a good work ethic, man. That's that's what it takes to be Alex and Claire. <laughs> that's for sure. That's a grind it in. And, and that's, you know, uh, that's, that's what resulted in you getting where you are because a, a colorist can make or break a page. You, know, you can have a book that's made up of great pencils and great inks, but if the colorist... Uh, doesn't doesn't hold up that standard it, it can really uh, it can really break the art in the issue and you do a great job of uh, elevating what you were already given and and definitely holding up your end and that's that's why you've attained the reputation you have that's true because there are times when people are like oh oh sinclair's doing the color you know i gotta check this out there are, that 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 is mentioned in the in the world of fandom which is pretty cool oh, and i was curious about that as well because i know if in this crazy world we live in now, let's just say uh, a comic book penciler, if they get the anatomy a little wrong and they tease like variant cover, or whatever, 
you know, Twitter's going to blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's that's a lot of pressure. So, yeah, I guess, they're, you know, with every level of creativity that goes into putting these books out, there is that, that level of stress. Yeah. And, um, and do you pay attention to any of your contemporaries as well, like other colorists? I know, uh, who is it, uh, FCO is... Uh, been doing uh, pretty well as well recently with all the Batman stuff and whatnot. Like, do you do you check out what other guys are ever doing, or are you just like honed into your own world? No, I love checking out what everybody's doing. I think you know. You have an awesome desk, by the way, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that desk is so. I'm like, oh my god, it's like the best workplace ever. Man. <laughs> I think I think you got like collectibles around too. Just this like massive round desk. I was like, wow. I do. I do. I spend, you know, at least eight hours a day, six days a week here. So I, I want, I should want to be here, and for some reason or another. So, uh, the 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 office keeps getting more and more crowded. Uh, Man, I collect that all- Batman stuff, and so nice. So yeah, my wife walks in and she just kind of shakes her head and walks out. <laughs> hey, this stuff paid for itself. That's right. And that's, I tell her, you can do whatever you want with the house. This is my room. <laughs> He's like, oh, by the way, Jim Lee's coming over for dinner at six. So, <laughs> so you you talked cool. about um, that you do look at the work of other people. Uh, do, how often does that serve to? To, to inspire you to like, okay, I really got to step this up. Like I, I just looked at the the next issue of Heroes in Crisis and I see what Clay Mann and Tomo Mori are doing. And that looks fantastic. I, I got to, I got to do this. Yeah. All the time. That's what drives you, right? It's that kind of friendly competition that, oh man, you, yeah. you know, he's doing this. Laura Martin's doing that. You're like, oh, I got to keep up with these guys. I got to, I got to. I gotta up my game, otherwise, uh, you know, I'm gonna be set, forgotten and dropped off. Uh, so I'm always looking at it. Uh, I have my favorites, uh, and and there's a lot of folks out there who are doing just outstanding work. So that you know, uh, what I miss the most from working in the studio environment is that I'm not right next to artists who can totally inspire me. So I I kind of make it part of my process to to look at what everybody else is doing because that's what's going to drive me uh, artistically mm. yeah i uh when we when we had um sean murphy on uh he was talking about his process for white knight and how he wanted um all of the most of the colors in his book to be a little more muted mm-hmm. and i think he would punch out his characters more and i thought that was really interesting as well where you know there, there's such a strong focus with in terms of how everyone's portraying or depicting their stories and whatnot so it's like you know, different moods and you know just to, just diff- different storytelling in general um and i think what's really interesting is how being that you guys are so exposed to one another's work i think you get inspired in one sense and in the other sense is like well if someone's doing something like this then maybe and that person's doing something like that then maybe i should do something more like this because you know isn't it as opposed to maybe just doing similar things in different story arcs and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, and you, as with any other artist, when you when they inspire you, you tend to sometimes subconsciously you borrow visually from them, yeah. uh, or something what of what they do that you like, you use, but not necessarily all of it. And so, you know, like people who start off being huge gym fans, they tend to try to ape his style and through the process come up with their own. Yeah, uh, and so you know, and I think everybody out there started off that way. Uh, you know, I, I still remember 
uh, J. Scott Campbell was a huge Art Adams fan, humongous, and he'd have every book that he'd ever released, and he that was his base. And then from that, he his style grew out of that. And now he's got a very distinctive style, but early on, he 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 drew his inspiration from art. Who does his colors? Does he do his own? He don't do his own. No, he doesn't do his own. Uh, for a while, it was Nii. She was okay. She was doing his colors, uh, and I don't know who's been curling his stuff lately. I think it's uh, Delgado. Oh, okay. He, um, he 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 has great colors, but um, I mean, he 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 has that that lane with that semi anime cute cute anime esque female uh, yeah. depiction. You know, he has his lane. You know what yep. I mean? And yep. It's been working for him ever since. What did you think of um, the woman? I, I forget her name. I'm gonna have to edit it in. The Italian woman who did Libra Merho's Noel. Did you you remember that one? Oh yeah, yeah. With, no, I think she with with Lee coloring Lee is tough because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could imagine. And I'm saying it because I've 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 done it. I've tried it, and and it's tough because he everything is there. Yeah. So you do have to come in with a very light hand. So that the art still speaks through, and then you just kind of, uh, I think you hit beats with him. Like uh, in pages, you just you just accentuate where where it needs, and the, and the rest he's done it for you. I mean, uh, you know, if you go very heavy-handed on someone like that, you can really just kind of take five steps back with the art. Yeah, and it just really made me think about comic book art in a whole new way because what she like the way she um colored catwoman it just felt like you could touch the latex you know i guess more painterly he was just pushing an envelope in another direction but it just it, it, really, it really goes to show the importance of comic book colorists going back to uh so you're at the point where you get to start working with the, the two guys you loved on wildcats and then suddenly you guys are about to start doing this giant Batman book with Jeff Loeb. What's that moment, that progression from, okay, I'm working with the guys that inspired me and now it's taken off where we're, we're, we're going even bigger places now. Well, what's that moment like? When I, by the time we got to that point, the coloring studio had grown to about 15, 20 colorists. So that when we had worked with, with, with Jim and Scott, like on Divine Right, it was a team of five or six colorists at a time. So we would take turns. And, and when they made the move for this Batman book, I think Jim and Scott decided they just wanted one colorist on it. They want one unifying look um, with the colors. And, uh, and they came to me and they said, hey, uh, we're doing this Batman book. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I don't think they finished the sentence before I said yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and and they came to me based on the work that I had been doing on on Harley Quinn with Terry Dodson, with Terry and Rachel. And they said they wanted that same feel. That moment is kind of like, oh my god, I'm going to be doing Batman with with Jim and Scott. This is so cool. Uh, and by that time, when they brought me in, Jim was already done with half the run so he'd drawn about six issues and scott was done inking about the first two uh, so that by the time i touched the first book jim was on book eight uh and it was funny because right before i started coloring 
uh, it, San Diego Comic-Con happened. And that's when they announced the book and all this stuff. And I think I got a little bit of stage fright. Uh, so when I started calling the book, I was very tentative, very like, oh, I, don't, I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. Uh, so my pages were a little flat uh, and a little too sanitized. And, and both Jim and Scott called me into their office and they're like, hey, you know, those first few pages were a little too stagnant. You know, we want to show you some stuff that we think you can draw inspiration from. Uh, that'll help you and they pulled out books that I had colored um, which I thought was such a cool thing wow that is pretty cool and after that I just took off I, I knew exactly what I needed to do it's still one of my favorite moments in my career yeah that, that's a really cool thing they, they they see that you weren't living up to your own full potential and rather than showing you some other people's stuff to say, Hey, look at this stuff and, and think from that. Yeah. It's a really cool move to, to cite your own previous work and say, look, look at the great stuff this guy did. Yeah. And, and, and you. <laughs> they've always been that way. That, uh, just uh, amazing, generous giving and, and willing to allow the artist to grow. So, uh, you know, What's is that? What it's like working with Jim? He just seems like the most laid-back, chill guy there is. You know what I mean? He is. I mean, he, he when he needs to be in, like collected, very collected. Yes. I mean. Yes. Definitely very collected. Uh, I still think he's one of the most generous people in the industry. He's one of the most generous people I know. Period. Uh, so even though he's super talented and, and and can draw circles around anyone, he's always willing to to help out the the artist who's just getting started, uh, uh, the inker who's asking for tips, the fan yeah. who wants a sketch or, or a signature, he's always willing to give. Um, so, and Scott's the exact same way. So it, it's cool. I've learned a lot of that from them. Uh, you know, the importance of the fans, the importance of, of, of the other artists. It, it, a lot of that comes from seeing them and how they, how they interact with them. And that says a lot too, being that he's co-publisher and there's just um, like avalanches of talent now more than ever in this industry trying to get in. You know, it must be a, a real duty to, you know, not only accept people into the industry to work, but to guide them as well. Yeah. Like in terms of mentorship. In the process now, like what, how, like for, let's just say a page, mm -hmm. would that, would, do you usually like bang out a page a day? Like what's your turnaround time now just out of curiosity. my turnaround time is dependent on the deadline so if i have to turn in six pages tomorrow i'm gonna color six pages today wow uh, oh. and and my I, my average is is four or five pages a day that's on like a, on a loose deadline uh yeah i've done less i've done a page in a day and that's because i have that luxury um but i have i've also done up to 14 15 pages in one day and Whoa. and it's become and that's like a 20 hour day so I, I wake up and i go to bed you know the next day um you you must dream about color the way every, <laughs> true, like the really what kind of page or kind of work or kind of penciling would make you be like this is going to take some time or focus like well what, what, what would the specifics of a page be for where you would have to put a little more? Like, you know you're going to have to put some time into this one or this is going to take... The amount of, of detail that the artist puts in, the number of panels, 
and the number of characters. So uh, a page with eight panels and it's just Harley is easier than a page with two panels and the entire Justice League. Right. And it's because I have to worry about how the light is affecting 10 people versus just one. Uh, right. So yeah, my, yeah. my my troubleshooting is, is, is a lot easier on the one character than, than six. So, you know, on a book like Blackest Night, which is probably the toughest book I've ever had to work on, I have to worry about seven light sources and 20 characters. There's a miniseries. Um, it was, oh, the mini- it was right. a yeah. seven-issue series that Jeff Johns wrote and Ivan Rice and Joe Prado and Claire. Albert did the inks on. So, so basically, team books. <laughs> Everyone always says, "Yeah, team books are a, a bitch." <laughs> right? They're hard. They're hard because yeah. multiple characters, multiple panels, uh, adds yeah. up. You know, multiple skin tones and palettes for the uniforms, and I guess there's just so much more involved visually that it, it would take some time. Yeah, yeah. That's super. Yeah. That, is, that is. You're throwing in different metals. You know, Wonder Woman's wearing three different kinds of metals, and Cyborg's got his own. And, Right, it's chrome, gold. Oh yeah. And Aquaman's gotta be shiny, and Flash is is putting off, you know, the light force light and all this stuff. You have to kind of take into account and, and light the scene. That's so cool. Then you then you're doing like landscapes and skies and and blasts from I don't know guns or whatever they're using, and it's just that's that you know it has to stay interesting though. Like yeah. everything's a new problem solving. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, I think so... I love that. I love the, okay, how am I going to figure it? How am I going to like this? How am I going to solve this problem? What's the most challenging thing in terms of like, I don't know, metal or light or illumination or, or motion or like out of all those things, what would you say is the most tricky to achieve visually when as a colorist? Um, skin's probably still the hardest to render. And it's because we all know exactly what skin should look like. Right. So that rendering skin is, you have to be, you have to nail it because that's what people are going to notice and go, oh, no, that's not right. They won't. That's not how it is. Uh, the other stuff you can kind of make up uh, mm. because it, if, if it's gold, if it's chrome, all that stuff, thankfully with the internet, you have reference you can kind of look up here and there. Right. Uh, and over the years, I've developed kind of like an approach for, for each character's costumes and, and all that stuff. So the challenge comes in, in, in new characters or new settings. Uh, with Superman, with Rogozari, it was kind of like, hey, this guy's got like this skin that's very porous and it's burned. And, you know, he's got, he's wearing this tunic and a ripped up cape and a ripped up flag. And his, mm. so it's, it's the new challenges come with that. Like, okay, now I got to make sure that that. Every time I see this part of his costume, I have to do this with it. And I got to make sure it works visually with the rest of the panel or the page or the cover. Uh, that's true. Is there, I mean, you're, you're such a seasoned vet at this, so it probably it's not as hard for you. But what, back maybe then, was, it, was there ever a moment where you had to be a little di- disciplined in terms of not trying to color maybe too realistic, but to keep it more comic book, if that makes sense, or more simpler. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. the styles change within each artist. So when I colored John Timms on on Harley Quinn, his stuff's very dynamic and almost not cartoony, but it's very stylized. Uh, my colors go a little simpler, more angular. Uh, mm. Whereas when when I switch over to Ivan on Superman. 
it's realistic to match what he's doing. Uh, and then when I do say Brian Hitch, Brian Hitch likes less rendering. So uh, in a sense, it's easier to color Brian because then I, I, I kind of have to hold myself back from wanting to render. <laughs> do like 30 pages in a day. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he destroys every city that he draws. So <laughs> uh, I, I just know when, when I'm doing a book with Brian and it opens up establishing shot of a city, it's like, ah, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, ah, that's so cool how you adapt as a colorist as well to all these different styles. Between that and uh, definitely win the award for best desk in the comic book industry. So. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I don't think they have an award for that, but I'll, I'll take it. We'll, we'll make, we'll make the, 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 the award itself will be a giant <laughs> desk. <laughs> desk. A desk to put on your desk. <laughs> that's like that's like the um, the Seinfeld episode when he makes the coffee book table that turns into an actual yes. coffee book. The that's great. <laughs> think that you have the most daunting uh, job in the process is when the writer's writing he writes his story and you know he's just writing as it flows out of him uh, as as the the artist doing the pencils plots it out you know he's just doing his work you know making sure he's telling the story uh, visually etc but it, it's all flowing you know, he's he's dictating he's putting every line where he wants it you know but sometimes I look at a full page that's not colored, and sometimes when it's just a chaotic page, there's so much going on. I've looked at pages. Where would the colorist even start? Because there are a million things on this page. I, I don't even know how you begin to tackle this. It's, it looks insurmountable on some of these pages. It's weird. It's sometimes the page instantly kind of looks colored to me like i'll open up and i know exactly what to do and sometimes i struggle with it uh so it's about focus trying to find where the focus of the page needs to be uh and maybe start there and then color around that uh, mm. if it's if if it's an, a page where i open and i go and exactly what i'm gonna do i tend to work traditionally so i'll work background to foreground uh and paint my way to the front um so uh, and there's times when, um, if I'm in a crunch, I'll do all the backgrounds on four pages first and then come back and do all the characters and then come back and do all the special effects. And that's just because it, it becomes a lot faster and easier for me to, uh, to switch from one to the next and, and, and I can keep the lighting and the colors used consistent and, and, and therefore faster. Have you ever taught a course to people in the industry about coloring? Um, I actually did it for the, well, I used to do it regularly with the coloring studio. We would train people as we brought them in. We'd have to train them and, and show them the, the process. Uh, mm. I just recently for the first time taught my entire process start to finish at a university in Guadalajara, Mexico. Oh, wow. It's, it's a creative visual university. Yeah, there are a lot of artists coming out of Mexico, man. Yeah, there are a lot of good artists. And they have a master's uh, program there for for visual storytelling, and they brought me in to teach the color end of it. And That's awesome. I enjoyed it, loved it, and it made me, it forced me to write down a lot of my process, where 
I bet you learn more about your your stuff when you put it in that perspe perspective. I imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so much so that I'm actually considering writing a book about it. Oh, that'd be awesome. And, yeah. and whether it's through Kickstarter or something, just get it out there. Uh, I, think, I think I've been in the industry long enough to <laughs> that, that I, I I should be okay if I tell everybody how I do it now. You should do um, <laughs> you like nowadays you, you do the book and it'll I think they maybe come with a code when you buy the book and you punch the code and it has like the uh, like a video as well yeah to like assist it and whatnot but uh, yeah that that would be awesome yeah I mean we're considering a lot of things a lot of uh, the benchmarks that they have. Uh, as it hits a certain number of sales that, you know, give away some of my palettes, some of my brushes, that kind of stuff. I think that would be super popular, especially for generations trying to break in the biz, you know, that it would be like one of the Bibles of, you know, comic book storytelling and whatnot. I hope so. When you're, because you've done so much uh, digital coloring, do you ever come across this urge to, like actually, you know, physically paint or or watercolor, or oil paint, or anything like that. Like the traditional. Do you ever like, or are you just like, fuck, I don't got time for this shit. I just got, you know. All, all the time, and... all the time. Really? Uh, it's really? so I like conventions because I have to do it on paper, and then I have to switch to markers or paints. Uh, I even bring pastels to conventions because I just kind of, it's me letting loose. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Getting it all out of the way. I also teach uh, an art class at the San Diego Zoo during the summer. Oh, that's cool. And wildlife is one of my favorite subjects to draw so that I get to draw, you know, animals that I love and I get to draw them traditionally. So I, I do a lot of pencil, a lot of watercolor uh, work when I, do, when I work at the zoo. Um, and it's something I used to do on my own. I used to go to the zoo, just take my kids and we just draw and then uh, got in contact, got was put in contact with the person who runs their summer programs. And it's about been about 12 years now that I do it. Just during a couple of weeks during the summer, I go out there for a week and teach art. Do you have a favorite animal? I do. Um, I love red-eyed tree frogs. So I think what, when you look at my icons, there's my, my main icon is a red-eyed tree frog. Um, but I also like the animals that are textured. So like rhinos and elephants. Mm -hmm. uh, animals with patterns, so giraffes, zebras, tigers, because they yeah. present a challenge, uh, and, and it allows me to kind of really get engrossed in it. I look at some of those animals too, especially like giraffes or even reptiles, and just think about how, man, there must be some higher being that's an artist, man. Right. You look at the patterns right. and the colors; it's just something's going on. Yeah. But uh, what book in comic book? What comic book or graphic novel or limited run or story whatever is there one that sticks out to you that you haven't done that you're like that's some of the best coloring i've ever seen electra lives again lynn's work on that was it's still just it's gorgeous yeah. beautiful work she went to watercolor and 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 just nailed it mm. so it's it's some of frank's best work and it's, right, it, yeah. and it's my favorite work by lynn and lynn's one of my my biggest influences as, as, as I was kind of getting going. Oh, cool. um, oh, cool. So I, I love that. Uh, it's very painterly. Uh, I mean, George Pratt and MEAs, again, yeah. watercolor and everything about that book just speaks to me. Recently, Dean White did, what he did in All-Star Batman was just 
insane and you know very a very big nod to impressionist work in my opinion so that again since that's some of my favorite art i really love what he did there oh that's oh the first yes. one uh, yeah. my worst enemy with uh john romina jr yeah yep. that was a, that was yeah that was cool that was really that felt like animation too to me it felt there was so much motion in that right that uh I really got into that. And I, I loved yeah. it. And I thought, man, that's so bold. And I wish I had the guts to do what he did. And, and, and <laughs> so it's cool to see even contemporaries still pushing and changing things up. What, what about, a, was it, I, I don't know if I got the name right, uh, McKean's, is that what the the artist for uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum? Oh, yeah, Dave McKean. Oh, Dave McKean. Dave McKean. Yeah. yeah. His stuff and Sienkiewicz have always been, you know, Oh, yeah, Sienkiewicz. Artists that you just look at their stuff, you're like, wow. Like, yeah. what kind of mind comes up with that? And thank God that they can come up with that because it's gorgeous, it's insane, it's everything. It takes you to a different place. Yeah. <laughs> so we just want to do a little something we call the lightning round. Which is just a handful of fun questions to get to know you a little better. Okay. So lightning round. Uh, number one, who is your favorite superhero? Batman. Nice. Damn. You're our best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your second favorite? You have a runner-up? Um, Daredevil. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Grandpa Batman's going to love you. <laughs> <laughs> Silly question I've been meaning to. What's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, it's funny. No one ever asks me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of them. Don't you know? uh, and, and when I meet people and I get autographs from them, I ask them to please write what their favorite color is. on their on, That's how they sign it. <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> so, uh, Midnight Blue. Oh, my God, dude. It would, it would be so weird to say that that's mine, too. I love Midnight Blue and, and Blue Black, those two colors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love, it's like, like a Prussian, you know, just a, just a, yeah, really dark, intense blue. That's a great one. Yeah, you really are a Batman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, New York-style pizza or deep-dish pizza? New York. Nice. Take that, Trunkler. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have the un unenviable task on this next one of uh, following Doug Mankey. Uh, how much can you deadlift? How much can I deadlift? That's a good question. Um, that color tablet right there. <laughs> now, and, and it's funny because I don't, I don't do deadlifts with bars. I, I do go to the gym every day. Uh, so I don't know. I actually don't know. I'll have to do that and get back to you. Cool. Okay. So yeah, most most people don't have an answer. Uh, Doug Mankey was the first person we've ever spoken to who did have actual answers for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can tell you how much I can bench press. I can with a dumbbell. How much I can curl. <laughs> Peanut M and M's or plain M and M's? Plain. Oh, nice little nom. Um, all right. If you could have dinner with one human being. Dead or alive throughout history, any human being throughout history, dead or alive, who would you have dinner with and drinks with? Michelangelo. Nice. I like that answer. Would you ask him about sculpture or the Sistine Chapel? Sculpture. He hated the Sistine Chapel. He did. He hated painting too. Yep. He just. <laughs> but hey, it was a it was a paycheck through the church, wasn't well, it? Well, so... the Pope forced him to do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done it. That's true, and it, it's a shame because it took. I mean, how it took forever. Four years. <laughs> to do... Yeah, and to be that high painting, oh my god! It's gorgeous, though. Oh, yeah, it is. I saw it a couple of years ago, and uh, it's uh, it's something else, something to behold. Yeah. Oh, do you have a favorite sculpture from Michelangelo? The Pieta. Yeah, I love that one too. 
It's uh, it's a shame that freaking uh, with the nose thing, right? Was it was it someone who broke the nose off? Or, uh, they hit it with, um, they hit it with a hammer, and I think they were able to repair it. But yes, mm, yeah. some, and that's why it's behind glass now. I know. Uh, you ever look at like Bernini stuff as well? I love Bernini. His Donatello is amazing. It was like the Baroque over, you know, over detailed. Yes. Sculpture everywhere. That guy, that guy was on a yeah. He was pretty wild. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, super speed. Super speed. Is that so you could so you could color like five books at once? No, so I could <laughs> color the same amount and then go draw. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of similar to time control, right? Yeah. Would you say, Rob? Yeah. yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Mo- uh, we find that most most of the creators that we speak to. I do tend to say uh, control of time. Yeah, for deadlines. So either that or, or replicating myself. <laughs> that would be a good one too. Can, can we can we do that now? Though? One, can, <laughs> one can color, one can coach, one can go to the gym, one can sleep in, <laughs> and and one can put food in my mouth while I'm working. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and for the last one, I got. Um, who would win in an arm wrestling match, you or Jim Lee? Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> to be continued. Jim. I've seen, oh. I've seen him wrestle guys twice oh, yeah. his size and win. Jim, really? Jim's a wrestler? Oh, yeah. He was a wrestler. Yeah. I, I, it'd be close, but I think Jim would take it. Yeah, those, those little guys are no joke, man. <laughs> Don't mess with and the Jim, little And Jim kind of lives the life of a wild man now. Uh, He's a, a daredevil. You know, when he was here in Canada for Fan Expo uh, last year, and or year before, and he made uh, like Snyder and King and DiDio and you know made all those guys <laughs> walk on the roof of the CN Tower with him, do the tower. Park. Right, I saw that. <laughs> uh, he he could not make. I, I guess he lost one arm wrestling match because Capullo didn't go up. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I, I definitely give it to Capullo. Yeah, Greg, Greg said, uh, "Why would I go up there with them when I can be down on the ground with my wife?" Uh, man, Alex, you know this has been an honor. Like I said, like I speak for the rest of the Bad Force um, and and so many fans in general about being a fan of your work for so long. Um, you're a standard in the industry. People actually do say, "Oh, Sinclair colored this. I got to check it out." We just we, we want to thank you for your time. Want to thank you for your hard work um, that you you bang out for DC Comics and please continue. And we look forward to that book, man. So that will be on my wish list, ready to go. So um, I hope that, you know I hope that happens in the near future. That'd be awesome. I close it off with one final question before we go. Uh, okay. I like to I like to get this input professionally. What's the best advice you were ever given, and who gave you that advice? You kind of covered it when I said the. Jim and Scott kind of showed me my own work and said, trust in yourself. Work from within, right? Don't don't copy anything like that. Uh, the advice I tell people all the time is, 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 is that, right? Just don't go a day without drawing. If that's what you want to do, it's, it, it takes the practice. It takes the hard work to get there. If you, if you love drawing, you sh- it means you should be doing it every day. When I walk out the door, there's always a sketchbook next to me. Um, because I don't know, if I have to sit for 10 minutes, that's the best way for me to to kill those 10 minutes is to draw for 10 minutes instead of sitting on my phone and and killing zombies or you know chasing wolves across the city or whatever game you have on your phone 
I, I thought you were being literal like that. <laughs> Wolves in San Diego. <laughs> Keep doing the great work at DC, man. We really appreciate it as fans. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I had a blast, and, and I'd love to do this again soon. Absolutely. Doors open. Thanks so much. Hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.